0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever experienced a miracle? A miracle is a surprising and welcome event which is not explicable by natural or scientific laws. A miracle is God intervening in this world and doing something marvelous and unexpected. And today, we are reminded that in the church, God works miracles. He works the miracle of faith, and we saw it this morning. Now, from Lord's Day 7 right through to Lord's Day 24, the catechism has been dealing with faith. In Lord's Day 7, we had the definition of faith. Then Lord's Days 8 through to 22 discussed the content of faith, the content of the creed. Lord's Day 23 explained to us the benefit of faith, And Lord's Day 24 describes to us the exclusiveness of faith. Faith alone makes us share in Christ and all His benefits. And so the church has clearly confessed from the Scripture that to be saved, to be righteous before God, all you need to do is believe. Now, if that's all we need to do, why does the catechism ask, where does this faith come from? Isn't it obvious? Isn't faith something that comes from us? Isn't this at last the one part of the process where we get to respond, where we get to respond a little to God's grace, where we get to contribute a little bit? Where does this faith come from? That question is not strange if you know your Bible. If you have your Bible handy, I will be looking at a bunch of different verses in quick succession from time to time. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13, the Bible teaches us that by nature we are children of wrath and we are dead in sin, dead. So Colossians 2 13, the apostle says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Now, think about that. You can offer a dead person all the riches in the world, but your announcement would fall on deaf ears. A dead person can't even hear the offer, let alone desire to accept it. And that's how God describes us. That's how radical our situation is by nature. We are totally incapable of reaching forth a hand to take hold of all the blessings that God offers in Christ, because by nature we are in a state of spiritual death. And so what is more, not only are we incapable of accepting the promises of God in Christ, but we are even incapable of wanting to accept The gospel. And the Bible makes that very clear. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, what does the scripture say? For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Look at the next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person, the person outside of the Lord Jesus, the person who does not have the Holy Spirit, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually disowned. That's what the Bible says about who we are. And so you understand why the question of Lord's Day 25 is not so strange after all. Where does faith come from? That's a vitally important question if the only way to be saved is to be in Christ, and if the only way to be in Christ is to be grafted into Him, we read about that in Romans chapter 11, if the only way to be in Christ is to be grafted into Him by faith, then I need to know where to get that faith, that faith that is going to connect me to the Lord Jesus and to the life and the blessings that are in Him. Faith is a treasure. Faith is indispensable. Faith is the difference between life and death, between eternal joy and everlasting punishment. Where in the world can dead sinners get this faith? And we know the answer. Paul writes that to the Ephesians chapter 2. He says, it is the work of God. It is a gift. It's grace. This is what he says to the Ephesians. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. And specifically, we confess from the Scriptures that this is a gift from God the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts. Now let's stop there and think about that. This is not a normal gift. This is a miracle gift. What does the Bible teach us about our hearts? If you have your Bible handy, turn to Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, 17, 9. This is what the Bible says about our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And in other places, the Holy Spirit describes the heart of the person outside of the Lord Jesus as rock-hard stone. That's the kind of heart that God has to work with in the natural man. And to think that the Holy Spirit comes to a heart like that— And he takes the heart of a person dead in sin, a person who by nature is God's enemy, who hates God, a person whose heart is deceitful above all things. The last thing this person wants is to love God and love their neighbor. The last thing this person wants is fellowship with God. The last thing this person thinks he needs or she needs is salvation. And the Holy Spirit takes such a heart and graciously... Miraculously works new life. He replaces a heart of stone with a heart of flesh and he makes this heart open and receptive to the words of the gospel. It's all God's work and it is a great work and it is a miraculous work. He takes those who are dead in sin and he makes them alive in Christ. They have new life, they're born again. And we confess in the canons, this is just as amazing as creating something out of nothing or raising a dead person to life. It's just as amazing as the great work of God in creating the universe. To make a dead sinner a life to God, to work the gift of faith and regeneration, is an incredible, glorious work of the Spirit, and we need to be in awe of His power, because only the power of God could change a cold, hard, hateful heart of a sinner in rebellion against God into a heart full of love and grace and truth, inclined to worship and love the Lord and obey Him. And so as we consider this, this teaches us, amongst other things, it teaches us the need for humility and for prayer. Humility, because as Paul says, what do you have that you have not received? If we believe in Christ, we need to be very aware that this is by the grace of God. It's because the Spirit of Jesus Christ has worked the gift of faith in our hearts. There's no such thing as a proud Christian, just like there's no such thing as dry water or cold fire. That's an oxymoron. You can't have a proud Christian. There's no one in the kingdom of heaven who was so smart and so intelligent as to consider all the options and choose in his own strength and wisdom to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not how it works. Rather, the kingdom of God is full of people who say, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. And so a Christian is incredibly humble as we meditate on the great work of the Holy Spirit in granting us faith and a new heart. And secondly, this teaches us the importance of prayer. Beloved, there's no recipe for bringing people to faith. There's not a 10-step marketing plan to turn people into new believers. If you're witnessing to people in your neighborhood, at school, at work, if you're involved in outreach and when we, as church, are involved in missions far away or close by, if we really understand how faith works, that drives us to making prayer a cornerstone of our evangelism. Because God is the one who opens hearts. God is the one who changes hearts. It's His work. You think of Paul preaching there in Philippi. And as Lydia, that businesswoman who was there, listening to him. As she heard him, she had no ability in herself to make an intellectual decision to make the right choice. But what does the Scripture say? God opened her heart to hear the words of the apostle. And so when we're hoping, when we would love to see people come to know the Lord, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for our neighbors. Are you doing that? When is the last time you prayed for your neighbors that they might, if, they do, if they're not Christians, that they might come to know the Lord? We need to be praying for our co-workers. We need to pray for people who hear the gospel through outreach or mission. We need to pray for the Spirit of Jesus Christ to work in their hearts that wonder of wonders, that miracle of miracles, which is true faith. And that applies The people that would love to see come to know the Lord from outside the covenant communion. And that applies to our kids too. There's no recipe for bringing up covenant children. It's not a logical progression from Christian school to catechism to so many years of catechism to graduating to professing your faith. That's not how it works. What do we confess? What does the Scripture say? What does the baptism form remind us of? also our children are conceived and born in sin, and also they cannot enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We hear it every time there's a baptism. We hear those words. It's not enough to be born in the church, to be physically present in the church. I need a new heart. And only the Holy Spirit works that. And so we need to keep our children in our prayers as well. We need to pray regularly that God would work and strengthen faith in their hearts, and prayer needs to be a cornerstone of our parenting. We need to pray that God would use the Christian aroma of our home, that He would use the instruction and admonition of us parents, that He would bless the Christian education The catechism teaching, the weekly preaching of the Word of God in such a way that our children might respond more and more in faith. And that one day, God be praised, as we witnessed this morning, our child might stand before the congregation and say loud and clear, I do. I do believe. It's not a given. It's not something that occurs naturally, and there are many who can testify to that. You can give your child every benefit of covenant education, a Christian home, and upbringing, and yet you can grieve when you see your child going their own way. And Sometimes it seems like all the teaching has made no impact whatsoever, and you can feel so helpless. And you wonder, what did I do wrong? But you're not helpless. Your help is still in the name of the Lord. And His gifts and His calling are irrevocable. And your child who was signed and sealed with the covenant seal of baptism, that seal goes with them wherever they go. No matter how far they stray from God, God is always calling them to respond to their baptism. And so, we can pray, and we can invoke God, and we can say, Lord, for the sake of your name, my child has your name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit on their forehead. And so, it's never wasted time to get on your knees yet one more time to intercede for your child, to pray that God would graciously grant the gift of faith and repentance. It is, He's a God who works miracles, also the miracle of faith. Now, we know where faith comes from. The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts. But how? How does he work it in our hearts? And the confession continues, the catechism continues, by the preaching of the gospel. Now, that's a pretty radical statement. The Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. How does that make sense? How can such a massive miracle happen by me coming to sit for, I don't know how long, to hear one person go on and on and on from the pulpit? How can that work a miracle of new life? And because it's hard to process, we live in a time when preaching is under a lot of stress. I mean, why take up 30, 40 minutes of the worship service with just one guy talking, it doesn't seem really sensitive, uh, secret, sensitive worship. Maybe it'll be more attractive to people in the neighborhood if we cut back on the preaching. We brought in a really good band and lots of percussion and upbeat music and lights and video, multimedia, a smoke machine, some mime, some theater, some skits, some jokes. Get some people, get people interested, get people entertained, and keep them coming back. You know, a lot of churches fall for that, and it's it's a big temptation because it sometimes seems like, yeah, that might get people in and we can have contact with them. But a church that tries to entertain fails to be a church. You see, if people want entertainment, they can find better entertainment in other places. That When the church tries to be an entertainment institution, it doesn't always manage to do a super good job. But there is one thing that the church does very well, and that is preach the gospel. That's the job of the church. That's what the Lord Jesus told the church to do before He ascended into heaven. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go out there. This is how it works. You preach, you administer the sacraments, word and sacraments. That's how God works faith. That's how He strengthens faith. And in His infinite wisdom, God has decided that this is the way that He will call people to faith. You see, the Holy Spirit uses means. He doesn't just Zap things straight from heaven. God is a God who is a God of process. So when we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, a loaf of bread doesn't fall down from heaven. But he blesses us with work. So we can go out, we can get our paycheck, we can go to the store, we can buy a loaf of bread. He uses means. And he does the same thing when it comes to faith. It's not as though somebody's walking along the street as an unbeliever, dead in their sin and hating God, and all of a sudden in the middle of whatever he's doing, suddenly the Holy Spirit strikes him from heaven and he becomes a believer. That's not how it works. Rather, God uses very ordinary things to work in someone's heart. He uses the influence and instruction of parents and teachers and friends. He uses the blessing of a godly home and upbringing. But most importantly, The main means of grace that God uses is the preaching of the gospel, spoken to our ears and pictured before our eyes in the sacraments. He uses something incredibly simple, something that the world can even scoff at, something that that Paul calls the folly of preaching, the foolishness of preaching. One man Explaining and teaching scripture. That's how simple it gets. And he uses that very down to earth scene to work one of the greatest miracles in the universe. He uses the preaching of the gospel to work faith in the sinner's heart so that a dead sinner becomes a living child of the living God. And that's what we confess. That's where our birth comes from. If you have your Bible handy still, look at James chapter 1 verse 18, and the apostle says this, of His own will, He brought us forth, He made us be born by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. It's the word of truth that gives us that new birth that we so desperately need to be alive in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23, go a few pages further on here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. And here the apostle says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. That is what affects the new birth. And then you, you keep reading. He says, for all is like grass, all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the Word of the Lord remains forever, and this Word is the good news that was preached to you. And so it shouldn't surprise us to see that the Holy Spirit works in and through the Word. After all, He is the one who inspired every text in the Bible in the first place. Everything that exists has come into existence through the Word, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the Word incarnate. He called things into existence that were not. The entire universe is created by the Word, and the universe is renewed through the Word as well. And so, you remember what the Lord Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 14, 26. He said this, "'The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name,' He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so, Jesus, before He leaves this earth, He says to His disciples, I've taught you a lot of things. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to remind you of the words I gave you. Why? So that they could share them with others. And that's what happened. At Pentecost, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? This is really important. If you have your Bible, grab it and look at Acts chapter 4 verse 31, because sometimes we meet Christians that talk about the Holy Spirit, and they say, oh, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you climb the walls, and you swing off the chandeliers, and you start doing really strange stuff. That's not how it works in the Scriptures. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 31. This is shortly after Pentecost. Acts 4, 31, and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Where the Spirit is active and powerfully moving, you will hear the Word of God. That's what He does. And so, the Spirit doesn't only act in the speaker, He also acts in the listener. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, for instance, you receive the Word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, and as a result, your faith in God has become known throughout the world. And Sunday after Sunday, that's what he does. He takes the words of Scripture He takes those words of Christ and those words about Christ, and He brings them close to you through the preaching of the gospel, and He drives that Word into your heart and into your life, that Word that is the power of God for salvation, because the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God is using it to work in your heart, to work faith, to strengthen faith. And when we think about this, we we understand why sometimes the church is called the workshop of the Holy Spirit, because the church has been given the task to preach the Word, and the Spirit works through the preaching to produce the miracle of faith and repentance. And that means if you want to see the power of the Holy Spirit, and if you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to go to His workshop And that means that church is the place to be. That's where He's working ordinarily. And there are many implications to this. If we neglect to make use of the means of grace, that means if we're not diligent to place ourselves under the preaching of the Word, then we are not keeping in step with the Spirit. In fact, we're quenching Him, and there can be serious consequences to this. If we are not eager and diligent to be under the preaching of the Word, then we should not be surprised if we are not growing in faith. In fact, we will be weakening in faith. That's why the elders in love admonish us when we're not showing up for worship, because they love us. And they even discipline us sometimes in love when we despise the proclamation of God's Word and the sanctity of the sacraments, because what does the Bible say? Proverbs 19, 27, cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. If we stop attending public worship, if we stop putting ourselves under the word, then we're going to start straying. That's how it works. Our faith will falter and weaken. And that's why it's so important to encourage also our children, to be in corporate worship as soon as it's possible. And every family has their own way of doing it, and that's totally fine. The age varies from child to child and family to family, but the principle is the same. The church is the workplace of the Holy Spirit, and the sooner my child, your child, sits under the preaching of the Word of Life and all that accompanies it, the blessing of God, the sacraments being witnessed, the sooner your child experiences all of this, the better. And we can be deliberate, we can be intentional about that. When we get home, mom and dad can summarize the sermon in a few few short sentences, but don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. He also applies the most amazing things to the hearts of even the very little ones. You'd be surprised sometimes what he lays on their hearts and what they pick up. And we can help prepare their hearts to be fertile soil for the gospel by showing a great joy to go up to worship, by speaking of the importance of worship and preaching with our children, by explaining to them the miracle that the Spirit works through the preaching of the gospel. Now, sometimes we want to get real practical, and we say, well, little kids, they they make noise, and they can't focus, and wouldn't it be better to have the little kids in a separate room, and then we can use the felt board, and we can use finger painting and puppet shows, and we can kind of of do it at their level? And that would seem to make a lot of sense. But think about it. If Uncle Bob is getting married, do your kids... Do you want your kids to be there at the wedding, or when the wedding's going on, do you want them in a separate room where they're watching a puppet show about the wedding, where there's a little puppet that's the bride and a little puppet that's the bridegroom? Kids, where would you rather be, at the real wedding or at the puppet show about the wedding? And I think that children would say, I want to see the real thing, and it's the same thing with the preaching of the Word of God. This is where it's at. This is where things are happening and this is where our children need to be. And finally, this has implications for our liturgy and worship. If the only way to share in Christ and all His benefits is to have faith, if faith comes only from the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts through the preaching of the gospel, then, makes sense, the church has to be very insistent that the preaching of the gospel is the main element of of worship, And if we cut back on preaching, and preaching gets hidden behind all kinds of innovations, then the church stops being a workplace of the Holy Spirit and becomes a place to socialize, to show off your talents, your musical, your theatrical, thespian talents, or to entertain, or to be entertained. And when the word falls silent, the church dies and children no longer experience the miracle of faith, and the whole church goes off the rails. We see it time and time again in church history. And so this is very, very important. It is imperative. In a time when intense pressure is being brought to bear on the Reformed worship service, let us remember this. God has not ordained faith to come through skits, and testimonies, and praise choruses, and children's stories, and theater, and PowerPoint presentations, and mimes, or whatever you can make up. This is what the gospel says, Romans 10, verse 17. So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. That's where it's at. And as long as the Word of Christ is central in our lives and in our worship, then we will keep on seeing that most amazing miracle. We will see, we'll continue to see our little children growing up and miracle of miracles responding in faith to the gospel that has nurtured them all their lives. And we will see others who miracle of miracles are drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ and come to faith because God draws them from outside the covenant and blesses them by working in their hearts faith as they sit under the preaching of the Word. In other words, as long as the Word of Christ is central in our lives, in our worship, we will see the Holy Spirit work wonders among us, not the wonders of the false miracle workers of pseudo-Christianity, but rather the wonders of which the Scriptures speak, the wonders of faith, hope, love, humility, communion, fellowship in the Spirit, grace, repentance, reconciliation, and sanctification. Beloved, let us stick to what Christ our Lord and Savior has instituted and commanded. Go and preach and baptize, he said to the church, Do this in remembrance of me, he said to the church. He has given us the word preached. He has given us the word made visible in the sacraments. And both the word and the sacraments, when they are administered faithfully, are sure signs that God is surely at work among us. When the word and the sacraments point to Christ and to Him alone, then miracles will keep happening at this church, like the miracles we saw this morning. The miracle of faith and repentance worked in the heart. The miracle of faith in Christ confirmed and strengthened week after week. The miracle of those who by nature are dead in sin being made alive in Christ and being united with Him more and more through the work of God the Holy Spirit. Amen.